And once you have it, go ahead and turn to Romans 12. We are not skipping <laughs> four chapters, because if you guys are normal tenders here, you know we're going verse by verse through the book of Romans, and we took a kind of little detour for the holidays and for the, the week of prayer and fasting leading up to it. But next, not next week, the week after, we'll be right back where we left off. We're halfway through. But we're going to jump ahead today for just a, a, a word that I believe the Lord put on my heart leading into this week. And just to uh, kind of give a little personal application for what we're going to talk about today. Um, when my wife and I were partaking in pre-marriage counseling during our engagement, she's scared to death right now. She's just like, what is he going to say? So uh, <laughs> she does not know what I preach on Sundays. <laughs> but everyone's fair game to be an example in our household. All right, so when we were... In pre-marriage counseling, our, our pastor pointed out a lot of things that were helpful to us in our relationship, but one of those things was very helpful for our communication, because what he helped show us was that in our, as I should say, more spirited discussions, we weren't really listening to what each other were saying, okay? And, and the way he showed us this was by doing an exercise with us when we were having a disagreement where he'd, he'd give one of us like a, a pencil and he'd say, okay, whoever holds the pencil is the only one that gets to talk. And so he'd give the pencil to me and say, okay, Chris, like explain your perception of, of this. Um, maybe it's better the other way around. He'd give the pencil to Sarah and he'd say, Sarah, explain your perception of this situation. And so um, she'd get to say her piece and I couldn't say anything. And then she's, he'd say, okay, now give the pencil to Chris. Chris, repeat to me what she just said. And I'd say something, and, and then he's like, okay, give the pencil back to Sarah. Sarah, is what he just said what you said? And she'd be like, no, that's not what I said. This is what I said. And he's like, okay, give the pencil back to Chris. Chris, now repeat what she said. And he'd do that till we actually repeated what the other person was actually saying. And the point of that, what he pointed out was, sometimes when we're like so angry, like, or like we're so set on our way, what we think's right, that we're not even listening to what the other person is saying because we're just not even in our minds comprehending that what they could, what they're saying could be right. We're just thinking about how we're going to reiterate what we already know to be right or whatnot. And, and basically, since I was so set on my way of being right, I wasn't at all surrendered to the idea that my, what my wife had to say could be better or could be good for me. And by doing that, I was withholding myself from hearing the wisdom that she had to share and could lead to blessing in my life. Actually, I wasn't being biblical because Genesis 21, 12 says, do whatever Sarah tells you. And <laughs> he was telling me, if you want to be a doer of the word, <laughs> you should listen to her. Um, context is key. See, you can't just pull verses out of the Bible. <laughs> well, so... Anyways, all that to say is in, in like manner, in, in similar, like if you want to look at that situation, we can do that same thing in our relationship with the Lord all the time. We can be so set on what we think is best or what we want to see happen in our lives that we approach God in, with an unsurrendered heart or we're not surrendered at all to the idea that God knows better than us, that what he has for us might actually be better than what we have for ourselves. And that attitude can cause us to not even listen 
to what he has to say to us. Even if we think we're seeking him, because we're unsurrendered, we're not really listening to what it is he wants to say because it's not in line with what we want to hear. And the, and the, draw, the, the negative consequence of, of that is that we miss out on or delay the blessing that he intends for our lives. So this theme that I believe fully that the Lord's kind of reiterated and given us for this, this week of, of prayer and fasting of surrender, it's a very important theme because it's, it's critical to have a surrendered and submitted heart to God when we're approaching him in our lives, just in following Jesus, if we're gonna even be able to be in line with his will for us, if we're even gonna be able to listen and hear correctly what it is he wants to say to us, it can totally get in the way of that if we're not. So what we're gonna do today, we're gonna look at a passage in Romans 12 and then kind of like a parallel example of it in the Old Testament that kind of tell us this, tell us the importance of this idea of surrender. So go ahead, turn to Romans 12. If you're not already there, let me read. I'm just gonna read the first two verses. That's all we're gonna be in there today. And then we'll pray and then we'll, we'll go through this. Romans 12, one through two. Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we just, we wanna be ready to receive what it is you wanna say. And Lord, you've surely taught me over my time following you in my life that even when I thought I was surrendered, there were areas in my life that I was holding back from you that, that were to my benefit to let go because you had something much better in mind. And so I know that even when there's times, when, even when we think we're surrendered, we're, there's just things we're not even aware of that we need to give to you that you're asking us to because you've got something much better to do. And so Lord, we, we want to, I believe our hearts are, we want to come to you surrendered and so use these passages today to, to teach us your heart and why you want us to do that, of the better things you have, the best things you have for us in our lives, and help us hear personally how that, this applies to us, maybe even revealing things to us that we're unaware of, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So if I had to sum up the first 11 chapters, we've been through eight of them in Romans, but if I had to sum up the first... 11 chapters before we get to this point in Romans 12, it would basically be Paul telling us, look at all the great things God has done for you despite you not deserving any of it, all right? God has done all this amazing stuff in your life and we didn't deserve any of it. That's his grace all because he loves us. And after explaining that in much greater detail, he goes on to say and start out in Romans 12, one through two, I appeal to you therefore. So that therefore ties those first 11 chapters to what he's about to say. Like because of all that God has done for you, I want you to be reasonable in the way you respond. And I'm gonna tell you how the only rational way to respond. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, in the, in the Greek that means brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, or by the grace of God, or because of all God has done for you, all the good things, all the mercy he's shown you, all the grace he's shown you, because of this, 
We just went through a bunch of it in Romans 8, right? What, what are some of the good things God's done in our lives? What are they? Forgives us. Yes. What else? Holy Spirit. Yes. Adoption. Heirs. Yes. Favor. Victory. Working all things for our good. You could go on and on. That's what he's talking about here. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He uses this imagery that they would have understood like in the Old Testament when they brought a sacrifice, they'd lay it on the altar, they'd give it to God, something that was valuable, like their, their livestock, perfect and flawless, they'd bring it to him. And what he's saying is, I don't want you to you know, come to me dead, I, I want you to come to me alive. I want you to surrender your lives to God. This is the rational thing to do. Because Jesus surrendered his life to you, you should surrender yours to him which is your spiritual worship. If you, if you really want to worship God, you want to serve him because we're always so focused about well, what do I need to do, God? He's like, this is what it looks like. It's not so much about what you do. It's, 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 it's how you respond. It's that you, you, you lay down your life. You, you give yourself to him so he can lead you into those great things he has for you. He says in verse two, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Instead of living in that old way, living according to the world, that, that world that Jesus died for you to be saved out of, live for God. Let him transform your thinking. Let him change your mind by the washing of his word. Listen to what he says. Look, listen to his voice. What is it that he wants for you? What is he telling you is his will for your life? Live for him. Don't live for yourself. Don't live for the world anymore. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. If you approach God this way, if you, instead of just resisting him, you, you lay your life down for him, you say, Lord, you can have your way. I, I'm just surrender my life. It's to you. Then you'll be able to know what his will is. And here's the, here's the test. You'll see that your life is good, acceptable, and perfect. That, that's what his will will amount to your life. You'll know you're in the will of the Lord when your life is good, acceptable, and perfect. So I want you to note here again, and this is important, Paul tells us that God is not really asking us to do anything, because that can be what we think in our minds. What, what do I need to do to be a good Christian? No, 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 he's not asking us to do anything. But what he is saying is, I want you to give everything to me. This is what it looks like to be a worshiper of God versus a worker for God. It's not what he's interested in. It's like, you wanna worship me? Just follow me. Give me your life. Let me lead you. And seeing as how Jesus demonstrated God's great love for us in, in giving us everything, all of him on the cross, he laid down his life willingly so our sins could be paid for, we could be forgiven, we could be reconciled to God. Because he did that, Paul basically says, how, how could we not be willing to surrender control of our lives over to him as an act of worship in return? If I, if I had to sum up what he's saying, basically he's saying, Jesus died for you so you could give your life to him. He enabled that 
process to happen. And when we surrender to him, it's then that we'll be able to know and live in his will for us. And as I already said, the evidence of that was your life will be good, pleasing, and perfect. That's what it'll look like when we're in the will of God. That's what he wants us to experience. And the Lord has taught me over the years that I have to be, I have to be surrendered to his will in my life in order for me to be able to understand exactly what it is. Because more often than not, it's not always going to line up with what I think is best for myself. And there's a reason for that because he wants to accomplish infinitely more than I might ask or think, as Ephesians 3.20 says. All right? That means what it says. God wants to do way more in your life and wants it to be way better than you could ever even imagine. And my expectations always just far way short and are too small for my gigantic, gigantic God that can do anything he wants. I mentioned a couple weeks ago when the Lord asked me to, to be the pastor of this church, it wasn't what I exactly saw for myself. So it made it really difficult for me to understand how is this your will, Lord? I didn't see this for myself. And one of the arguments that I found myself making with the Lord was, I'm content where I'm at. Aren't I being faithful? I mean, Lord, I'm, I'm, I, I'm an elder in the church. I pastor the young adult group. I do kids ministry. I lead mission trips. I, I've got a job where I can do the job and I can serve in like full-time ministry and I don't neglect my family. Like in my mind, I was just like, there's fruit. This is good. And I felt like one of the things the Lord challenged me on was like, well, if you just want to be content with your life. But I want to do exceedingly more than you might ask or think. So what do you want? I've got greater things to do. Do you want to just be content or do you want to see me do them? And for me, that was something that really helped me get to a place of surrender in that, well, shoot. Maybe there is a whole bunch more God wants to do that I can't even comprehend. And I, I don't want to miss out on that. I want everything God wants for me. And when we are in that place of surrender to his will over ours, obedience just naturally follows because in essence, what replaces your will is that I just want what the Lord wants. I don't even know exactly what that is, but I just want to follow. I just want to do what he says. And in that obedience, what you'll always learn is that what he has for you is better than anything you could have ever had for yourself. Always. Even the times we think we're giving something up, as I said a couple weeks ago, he always shows you that what he gives you in return is far greater. So surrender is necessary for us to be led by the Lord. And it can be one of the most common reasons that we're not hearing from God when we're seeking him because we're just quite frankly not wanting to hear what he has to say. Just as I shared in my example with, in the communication with my wife. And this can cause us to miss out or delay the blessings, the things he wants to be doing in and through us in our lives. And so case in point, we're gonna look at an example of a person that did approach God with a surrendered heart and see the blessing that that resulted in their life. So go ahead and turn to Genesis 22. We're gonna spend the rest of the time today here. And what we're gonna be doing is looking at a portion of Abraham's life, Abraham being the, the, the first person, the patriarch of the nation of Israel that God called and chose to bless and reveal himself to. 
And starting in verse one in Genesis 22, it says, after these things, so God did a whole lot of things up to this point, but one of those was, if you know the story of Abraham, God had said he was gonna have a whole nation come through this person. Like basically he was gonna have descendants and, and they were gonna, there was gonna be a great nation, God was gonna bless them and, and through that nation, God would bless the whole entire world ultimately through Jesus who would be born through them and save people from their sins. But up until right before this, he hadn't had a child with his wife, Sarah, and God had promised specifically, you're gonna have a child with her, but they're getting up there in age. They're almost like 100 years old. So in their minds, they're like, yeah, that ship's kind of sailed. But God's like, well, I can do anything, right? And he keeps reiterating this promise to them multiple times. I'm gonna give you a child. And so one of those things that God had done right before this is he had given them that child of promise. His, his name was Isaac. So it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So this is the child, remember, of promise that that all his descendants would come from. And what does God do? He asks him to offer him as a burnt offering. Now, I can't imagine a greater request that God could give us, especially for us that are parents, than, offer, than asking us to surrender our child to him. Would you guys agree with that, right? And I point that out because if you are a parent, sometimes you know this to be a battle in our minds. We can use our families is justification sometimes for not doing the things God asks us to do. Surely I've been guilty of that before. The Israelites did it when refusing to obey God and go into the promised land. If you guys are familiar with that, they, one of the reasons in Deuteronomy 139 they said was, well, our children will be in danger. We can't do what you're saying, God. We can't go into this land of blessing because there's giants in there and, and our kids could get hurt. And all that disobedience accomplished was bringing on 40 years of hardship and wandering in the desert, desert that didn't only affect the parents, but affected the kids too. And it was unnecessary. It could have all been avoided had they listened to God. And at the end of that 40 years, God still brought their children into the promised land because he didn't want to punish them for their parents' bad choices, but their parents never got to go into it, okay? God ultimately, basically, one thing we got to always remember is that if God is asking us to do something, it's not only for our good, it's for everyone around us in our lives good as well, most certainly our families, okay? But the other thing I want you to note here is that God asks Abraham to offer his son. He doesn't specifically tell, tell him anywhere that he's actually gonna have him kill his son. And that's important if you know the story and you know what happens, and I'll point out the details after. But the reason I point that out is because the other thing we can do sometimes is we can put God, words in God's mouth that he doesn't actually say to us to make what he's asking us to do sound worse than it is to justify why we shouldn't do it, okay? Eve was guilty of this. Back in Genesis 3.3, where Satan's tempting her to disobey God, and she's reiterating what God told them not to do. In verse three, it says, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, God said nothing about not touching it. He just said, don't eat it. He said, you can eat whatever you want in this garden. 
just don't eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil because it's not good for you to know what evil is because when you do, you will do it and you will die, all right? So just don't eat this tree. But the reason I point that out is because this is kind of a form of legalism where we add a bunch of requirements on ourselves to make God sound worse, like, oh, he's just ruining my fun. He doesn't want me to do, or he wants me to do this thing, and it's just going to make my life hard. We can do that, and we got to be careful not to do that. And Abraham doesn't do that here. He just does what God asks him to do. He asks him to offer his son, all right? And it goes on to say in verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, I want you to note something. God, what this shows us is that Abraham had great faith in God's promises to him, all right? Because up to this point, I mentioned this before, God had promised he's gonna have many descendants and that, that a great nation would come from his offspring, specifically Isaac, because he's his offspring. So if Isaac died, that couldn't happen. But it tells us, gives us a little more detail in Hebrews 11 on why Abraham did this in verses 17 through 19. It says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned if Isaac died, God was able to bring him to life again. And I point that if out because here's the thing. As we're going to see in the later verses here in, in Genesis 22, Isaac, or, or Abraham understood, okay, God is asking me to do something. doesn't really make sense to me. I don't understand how this is going to work out, but I know what he's promised me. I know he's promised descendants, and they're going to come from him. So he must have something else in store, and I can trust him at his word. I can trust he's going to be good, even if I don't understand it. And then he reasons with himself, and you know what? Even worst case scenario, even if he dies, God's big enough to raise him from the dead. So I have absolutely no reason not to listen to God. And it, it shows that he believed and trusted God to keep his word, and it led, it led him to be surrendered to what God was asking him to do, even if he didn't completely understand it. And the, the thing that's going to be critical to us in surrendering to God is having faith and trust in him, as Abraham has here. Because basically, you need to understand first and foremost, and we need to remind ourselves of this sometimes, God loves us. If he loves us, he's only going to want good things for us, all right? And he's absolutely, we can trust him at his word. So any promises he's made to us, He's going to keep them. All those promises we just went through in Romans 8, all those things you guys just reiterated of the goodness God has done, all the reasons Paul says, just surrender your life to him. You have every reason to. He will keep those. And that's exactly what Abraham does here. He trusts in him. And he doesn't limit his understanding to what he can perceive of the situation he's in. He understands, his understanding of the situation goes above because he trusts, well, God's got the whole picture in mind. Even if I don't know how this is going to turn out, I know he'll be good, and I can trust him, and that allowed him to have faith. And it says in verse 6, 
And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. See, he, he, he knew. He knew God's going to have to do something here. I mean, even if he doesn't, he can raise him from the dead, but I trust him. He's going to do something. I can trust him. He's made these promises to me. I have faith. And he says, so they went, both of them together, when they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and Behold, behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it's said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, in some of your guys' Bibles in verse 14, does it have a footnote there on, on another translation, something, another way that can read? Anyone? Am I the only one that has a Bible that has that footnote? Well, what? We'll see that you will. So another way to translate that or some of the other manuscripts say, on the mount of the Lord, he will be seen. And I like that, all right? Because it's when we surrender to the Lord's will and we do what he says, even if we don't understand it, that we will see him in the way he responds. We'll get to see him provide or we'll get to see him do the great things that he says he's going to do. Basically, when you choose to surrender to God and listen to him, you give him the chance to keep his promises to you and glorify himself to you and to the people around you and you get to see him. That's one of the reasons we want to follow God. We want to surrender to him because we want to see him those great things where there's no other explanation other than God did this. Because that builds our faith. And when we have that kind of faith, when we go into hard situations, we go into situations we don't understand, it gets really easy to trust him because you remember all those times he's blown you away by coming through and being faithful to you. And it goes on in verse 15, and it says, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because... You have obeyed my voice. So there was blessing that not only Abraham received, but his children received it, his descendants received it, and the whole world, for that matter, received it. Why? 
because he obeyed God's voice. Because he was surrendered to what God was asking him to do, which led to him listening and obeying, he got to see blessing in not only his life, but blessing that extended for generations even into our lives. He got to experience God's good, pleasing, and perfect will because of his obedience that came from that place of surrender. Now, what if Abraham had not been willing to surrender to what God was asking him to do? Would some of those blessings have been lost for him or for us, for his family? Would they have been delayed? We don't know. Only God does. But what we do know is because he listened to God, as verse 15 and 18 says, he got to fully experience all of the blessing that God intended for him and the generations after him. And I don't know about you, but I do not want to miss out in my lone life on any of the good things, any of the blessings that God wants for me or my wife or my kids or for the other people he's put in my life. And I won't if I'm surrendered to him as a living sacrifice, if I am willing to trust and obey and let him lead me into the good, pleasing, and perfect will he has for me. You won't either. That's what it takes. Not what you do. It's just giving him free reign in your life. And he'll lead you into the same blessing that he led Abraham. Now, Samuel's also somebody that I want to touch on that gives us a great example of somebody that approached God correctly with a surrendered heart. In 1 Samuel 3, when Samuel approaches God in prayer, something we're gonna be doing this week, he did so with a surrendered heart. He's, he's talking to God, he's waiting for God to speak to him, and when God does speak to him in 1 Samuel 3.10, his response is, speak, your servant is listening. I, I'm here, Lord, I'm, I'm here to serve. I'm here to do whatever you want. I'm surrendered to you. Tell me what to do. And he went on to hear from the Lord and obey him and experience the great things God wanted to do in his life, his whole entire life, it telling us in 1 Samuel 3, 19 through 20, just down from that, as Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him. And everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. In all Israel, from Dan in the north to Bathsheba in the south, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. Lord's only gonna be with us if we're in his will. He's not gonna be with us to help us do things that are contrary to what he wants for us. He only wants good things. So the fact that it says the Lord was with Samuel, why was he wasn't? Because he was surrendered to his will. He was following him, willing to do whatever God wanted. It says that everything he said was proved to be reliable. Samuel was a prophet. He spoke on behalf of God. Why were the things reliable? Because he was speaking the truth of God's word. He just repeated what God told him. So when people saw him, as it says, he was confirmed. As, they're like, the Lord's with that dude. Everything he says is wisdom. Everything he's doing reflects God. Isn't that how we want to be seen? Right? We want the evidence in our lives for us to see and for others to see that God is with us. And that comes from that place of surrender and just letting God lead, letting God do what he wants to do in our lives above anything else. And if there's a prayer I have for us this week above anything else is for us to learn if we don't already know and if we need to be reminded or even just 
a greater degree to approach God with that right heart of surrender in our lives individually and as a church family because the reality is if we do these same great blessings we see him do in Abraham's life, that same anointing that we see in Samuel's life, you're gonna see that in your life because those weren't just for them. That's what God wants for us, every single one of us. And that's a request we can make to God. Lord, help me learn to approach you with a surrendered heart that he wants to fulfill. He wants to teach us that. We don't have to ask that and wonder if he wants to answer that prayer. And so as the worship team comes back up here, we're going to spend a little bit of an extended time in worship and prayer just to kick this week off. And I'm just going to encourage you right now. I'm going to, I'm going to exhort you as your pastor to really challenge you knowing that Jesus gave his life. I'm not trying to guilt you into this, but that's a reality. Jesus gave his life willingly for the joy that was set before him. It wasn't something he did begrudgingly. He had joy when he thought of you and he died on that cross knowing that it would allow you to be forgiven and have a relationship with him. If he was willing to give you his life, I'm gonna ask you to give you a week of your life to him to just be in his presence, to just pray, to fast from something and seek him this week. And allow him to meet you in that place. Because the Bible's clear. When we do that, when we draw near to God, he will meet us. And here's where this can be really profound. Because every year I've done this, it's been profound. Sometimes it's been answering great prayers miraculously. But more times than not, it's just God reminding me that whatever I think I'm giving up, what I get in return, more than anything, just that closeness and that intimacy in my relationship with him is far greater than anything I give up. And the, each time I'm reminded of that, it makes me want to live a surrendered life to him. It makes me want to let go of everything if he comes asking easily because I understand to a greater degree that whatever he has is what I want more than anything else. And if you give him a chance to teach you that this week, I guarantee he will. I can absolutely guarantee that. And that won't, just be something we do a week, a year, it will translate into something that we continuously do in our lives and help us be closer with Jesus because we're just allowing, we're giving him our life and allowing him to lead us into those things he has for us. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Let's worship the Lord. We'll have our prayer team around the room. If you guys want prayer for anything at all, Come up and get prayer. That's something that will be available this whole week as well at our prayer meetings. But other than that, just as, just as your individual time, you can worship God, you can talk to him. Maybe even now, just maybe you came in here, maybe there's some of you that weren't really like, you're just kind of, yeah, that prayer and fasting thing's not for me. But the Lord right now, the Holy Spirit's kind of convicting you. You're like, well, maybe, yeah, this would be good. And you just need to go before the Lord and go like, Lord, what is it that I should pray about this week? What is it I should fast from? You know, what, what is it, you know, is there something in my life, even if you, you aren't aware of anything that's kind of, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, that's in the way of our relationship with God that is preventing us from being close with him, that we need to surrender, just asking God with a humble heart, Lord, is there something that I'm in my life that isn't where it should be that I need to give to you? I, I don't want idols like, like the nation of Israel. I want to give them to you so I get those blessings in return that you have for me. Whatever it means, just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you so much. 
that you would be in this place with us and give us the time of day at all, Lord. I mean, it, it still could, it still just baffles my mind, even after following you for many years, that the God that created all things, that's ruling the universe on a throne, desires to have a relationship intimately with me, with each of us, I mean, individually. And that you would want to have fellowship with us. You'd want us to be able to, when we talk to you, we, we can expect for you to talk back to us, to, to care about what we say, to listen, to lead, to empower, to comfort. Whatever it might be going on in our lives, you're there to meet that need that only you can. And so you tell us in multiple places in your word that when we intentionally take the time to be with you, you'll be with us. And more than anything else, that's what we want this week. And we want to come to you just as Abraham and, and Samuel. We, we trust you, Lord. You've been so good to us. We know you love us. You've more than demonstrated that. So we want to come to you with a surrendered heart. Lord, forgive us if we're not surrendered. Sometimes we don't even understand that we're, we're, we're holding things back from you. Lord, help us reveal those things. Help us give them to you. Because we know that if there's something you want to take, what you're going to give in return is far better. And we don't want to miss out on anything you have for us. Maybe we're already in that place of surrender. And you just, even as Jeff shared last week, that it was during the week of prayer and fasting that you spoke to them and asked them to surrender their life, their old life, for a new life that was drastically different in calling them to France. Maybe you have something that you're going to, Ask us to surrender. You're gonna, you have a new season for us in this next year. Maybe locally and doing something different here in our church family or in our community with our job or maybe somewhere completely different. We, we don't know, Lord. You know. That's, that's, that's why we're coming to you. We just want to be open and ready to hear whatever it is you want to say. So we're not, we're not tuning you out. We're tuning you in. That's why we're coming to you this week. And we're, we're, we're saying no to those things that can be distractions from you. And we want to come just willing to say yes. To be like Samuel's where your servants listen. We're just your servants. We're here to listen. Whatever it is you have to say. Even if you just want to remind us that you're here with us. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to feel alone. We don't have to feel unloved. You're, you're here. And we know that you love us. We know that you're our, you're our victory. We know we're safe with you. Meet your people, Lord, now. Meet your people this week. In Jesus' name, amen.